When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was encouraging Timothy to stay faithful. He was reminding Timothy of the, the calling that he had been given. It was written for Timothy, but it was also for, written for you and me, for, for the church. And when Paul said that all Scripture is inspired by God, he was speaking a truth that the church has believed since its beginning. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, we have to understand, too, that at the time that Paul wrote, the only scripture that he had was the Old Testament. I'm not sure that Paul could comprehend that his writings would one day be considered scriptures like the writing of the saints before. And the, the history of the formation of our Bible, it is a fascinating history. But that's a story for another time. Today, I want us to look at this book, the most important book in all of world history. And it is, for the church, it's foundational. And what we believe about this book is critical for our faith. But we are currently in a battle about what this book really is and how we are able to interpret it. Now, this isn't an, a new battle. The first heresies that the church dealt with involved the authority of Scripture and who Jesus was. It's the same battle we're struggling with right now in the United Methodist Church. That's why the church is currently splitting. We are at a crossroads moment in time as a denomination. And as I said last week, the big issues we're struggling with is one, who is Jesus? Two, what is the Bible and what authority does it have? And three, what is the purpose of the church? So today we're focusing on this book, the Bible. And I want to turn back to Paul's words. All scripture is inspired by God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the church has wrestled with this question over the centuries as well. And one of the questions that I'm often asked is, do you believe in the infallibility of Scripture? Or they ask, do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? It's one of those questions that, honestly, I kind of dread as a pastor. And here's the reason why I dread it. Because most of the time, I know it's a trap. Because usually the person asking this has an agenda. They aren't looking for a debate or a conversation they're looking to label me and put me in a box. It's like asking someone if they're a Democrat or a Republican so they can decide if they're going to listen to you or not. Now, these questions are fine if you are trying to build a relationship with someone and truly curious about political views. But to me, it's not okay if the only, the only reason the question is to put you in a box or reject or accept you immediately. And again, the reason I dread this question is because often it's a trap. They want a yes or a no answer. Because however I answer, depending on the asker, if I answer wrong, then I'm either labeled as narrow-minded, conservative, or a, a liberal. So today we're gonna go where angels fear to tread. And specifically, I want to look at issues of infallibility, inerrancy, and inspiration. And what makes scripture, our Bible, different than, than any other book. Now, I'm assuming you know a little bit about infallibility and inerrancy, but let me give you a definition of each one. According to the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms, here's the definition of each. Inerrancy is a way of expressing a commitment to the belief that the Bible contains no errors of any sort and is completely truthful on all matters on which it teaches, such as history, science, and biology. Infallibility is the commitment to a belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation and the life of faith and will not fail to accomplish its purpose. 
But here's the problem though with these definitions. Many equate inerrancy and infallibility. And I've seen these definitions actually flip-flopped as well. So as a pastor, half the time I'm not sure what I'm even speaking about when someone says inerrancy or infallibility. So I tend to avoid both of those words. I tend to use the word, rather I like the word inspiration. Inspiration is the belief that God is the source behind all biblical writings and acted through the Holy Spirit with the biblical writers and editors to communicate what God wished to communicate. That's what inspiration means. And we're going to return to this idea of inspiration in a minute. But first, I want us to look at what the United Methodist Church believes in regards to Scripture. We have in our book of discipline a thing called the Articles of Religion and Confession of Faith. These state our basic beliefs about God. We looked at these actually earlier this year, but I want to look at them again. Part of our struggle is that even though we state these as our beliefs, many of our leaders, our agencies, and our seminaries aren't living into these truths. So Article 5, which speaks of the sufficiency of the Holy Scripture for salvation, it says this, The Holy Scripture, the Bible, containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be uh, thought requisite or necessary to salvation. Now, our confession of faith, which is Article 4, talks about the Holy Bible. It says this, We believe the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, reveals the Word of God so far as necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed in or established by the Holy Scriptures is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it to be taught as essential to salvation. Here's what I believe about God's Word. It contains all things necessary for our salvation. We don't have to look anywhere else to understand about who God is and what He requires. It is in this book, the Bible. I don't stress over issues of infallibility or inerrancy, but I do stress over if I'm using it to help me to understand more of who God is and what God desires of me in my life. However, we do know that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he did use the term infallibility. In Wesley's sermon entitled The Means of Grace, he says this about Scripture. Uh, the same truth, namely, that this is the great means God has ordained for conveying His manifold grace to man is delivered in the fullest manner that can, can be conceived in the words which immediately follow. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Consequently, all Scripture is infallibly true and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, to that end, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I love that. Wesley got this belief of infallibility from Paul's second letter to Timothy. So let's look again at what this letter from Paul reminds us. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired. That word inspired, it also means God-breathed. 
There's a sense of mystery in this, this idea that God breathed into the authors and editors of the Bible his very spirit as they wrote. Now, I do not believe that this means that God dictated word for word what the authors wrote in our scriptures. But just a cursory reading of the Bible, I believe, would tell you this isn't the case because the Bible has so many different types of writing and different authors throughout. No, I think that God used each person, their personality, their writing style, their time in history and writing of scripture. And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but think about it. This is what God did. He, he breathed into them. But think about it. God does the same thing with each of us. We all have different personalities and ways of speaking, but God's Spirit can use each of us if we allow Him to, to speak God's love into others. Yet the church has come together over the centuries and has continually upheld the authority of Scripture as the rule of our faith, as the foundation of our understanding of God, as the source of truth and life. This is how we approach the Bible. It is inspired. This crossroads moment we are at right now in the United Methodist Church revolves around the inspiration of Scripture. And the issue to me is this. If the Bible is the inspired Word of God, then we need to bend our will to do what it tells us, to live as it calls us to live, instead of trying to bend the Bible to fit our beliefs. But many of our leaders and seminaries are reinterpreting Scripture to mean things that the church has never accepted as true or are logically inconsistent in the divine Godhead. First, many are teaching repackaged Gnosticism. The early church in the late 1st and early 2nd century dealt with this heresy. It basically says that the God of the Old Testament is different or in contradiction to Jesus. Gnosticism emphasizes spirituality above the orthodox teachings of the Bible and the church, that their understanding of God and Jesus is more important than the Bible, that Jesus was not really divine, but just a good teacher that became divine only when his body was separated from his spirit. Now, that might seem shocking, but I've, I've seen it constantly, and I've seen this Gnosticism repackaged. Too many are teaching that huge sections of our scripture should be cut out and not be used or not authoritative. This is just repackaged Arianism, another early church heresy. Again, we wrestle with interpreting Scripture correctly, but we use the Scripture to help us interpret Scripture. We don't place our will on it. It places its will on us. Many are reinterpreting teachings on sexuality and sex that are against, what's the, against what the church has taught historically. Even in our conference, even in our conference, we have a clergy person who and pastors have been teaching new licensed local pastors and others that living together outside of marriage is okay and that we shouldn't try and evangelize those who are sick and dying that know, know Christ. Why? Because the Bible to them isn't authoritative and Jesus isn't the only way. But again, I turn back to Paul who reminds us of this truth about the Word of God. He says five things specifically. And I want us to think about this. First, all scripture is God-breathed. It is the inspired word of God. Two, it is able to make you wise for salvation. It's able to instruct for wisdom for you for salvation. This book that we have from God, this inspired book from God, is able to make us wise and shows us the way of God. Three, scripture offers this salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. The Bible points to this truth, both our Old and New Testament, that salvation in Christ 
It is the center, it is the purpose of the whole book. Fourth, it is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So our beliefs, what we confess with our mouth and our actions, what we actually do are both grounded in this word of God. And five, so that we may be proficient and equipped for good work. We have been called to read this book so that we can know the truth of God and how to live for God and live and do good works. This is what the church believes about the Bible. And as I said, many are trying to reinterpret what it means to suit their beliefs. But more importantly for you you and I today, how are you allowing it to shape your life? How are you allowing it to shape your life so that you are proficient and equipped for good works? So here's our next steps. Read it. If you're not reading the Bible, just start someone. I, I, I would encourage you to start in the New Testament. If you're not, if you want to jump into our Bible reading plan, do that. But for us to know this word, we have to daily be seeped in it. We have to read the word of God. And I again want to call you to prayer, um, to pray for the church, to pray for one another as well. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this, this time that we have had together to talk about your word that it is inspired by you, that you breathed into the authors of this word and that it is our rule of faith. Everything we need to know about you is in here. Help us to submit our wills to it and to you, not to try to bend it to suit our wills. Lord, we love you. We pray for your church. We pray for revival. We pray that that revival would begin in our hearts. May it truly be a revival to read your word and to know your word even deeper. We love you, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go in peace. God bless.